0: Support for this show comes from The Calling Academy, using research and online courses to empower people from all faiths and spiritual paths to live a full life. Learn how to answer your call at callingacademy.com.
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Nancy Collier. She's an author, psychotherapist, Dharma teacher, and an author of The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World. An excerpt, or maybe better, an adaptation of her new book appears in the November, December issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. Nancy, this is gonna be an exciting conversation. Thank you very much for being on the show with us.
2: Uh, My delight.
1: So I tell you, there is so much in this book that I want to get to, and I won't be able to. We only have 20 minutes, and we're going to have to focus somewhere. But I, I want where I want to start is, well, first of all, you have these amazingly provocative observations and insights as to our relationship with technology. And then, which is cool enough, but then practical ways we can live free from this uh, in the midst of this technical landscape. You don't, it's not simply turning it off. It's its its more than that. But you say, in right in the beginning, that we are slaves to technology. And I want to explore that with you more. So what do you have in mind when you say we are slaves to the technology?
2: Well, when I say we're slaves to technology, what I mean is that we've sort of been sold this Mythology that technology makes our life easier, it makes it freer, it makes it um, uh, all sorts of wonderful, freeing things. But in fact, the way most people are experiencing technology is that we are bowing down to it. So whether it's spending, you know, three and a half hours trying to figure out how to get our Wi-Fi to come into a high floor of our apartment building, or we're trying to figure out our smart house and how it actually functions, or we're sifting through hundreds and hundreds of emails. Whether or not it's really making our life easier is up for grabs right at this moment. We are also in this state of kind of Uber availability so that we are a slave to our device. Someone texts us, they assume that we're right there that moment picking it up. And if we're not, there's a problem. So we are serving more and more it rather than what it was designed to offer, which is a service, a tool for us humans. It's a bit flipped right now. Rather than the scientists having the rat in the cage, the rat has got the scientist in the cage.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel I don't know if the rat analogy, but the uh, what's, what's the animal that 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 runs in the circle? You know that uh, never ending. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I can't think what that is at the moment, but uh, yeah, yeah that, that's happens- how I. F-
2: we're on the habit trail, right? We're the, the guinea pig running guinea around pig. the cosmos, That's it. treading, trying to keep this technology going. But is it really working for us the way we're using it? Again, you know, technology is not doing anything to us. Technology is inanimate. The way us humans are using it is in service to our more reptilian brain, to our more impulsive, less evolved self.
1: So let me ask you this: You're a psychotherapist. You're an ordained interfaith minister. You teach mindfulness meditation. You do relationship coaching. Do you notice a, a negative impact that the technology has on people's capacity to relate? Is, is it harming? Um, yeah, is it harming relationships?
2: Well, one thing I really see is it's harming our relationship with ourselves. And by that, I mean that it's it's a funny paradox because on the one hand, we think that, you know, every cinnamon latte we have is uh, phenomenal and, and worth posting. We, we, we've sort of developed this kind of raging narcissism. But on the other hand, our sense of ourselves is that we're kind of a vacuum. We're kind of an empty vesicle. And we need to be supplemented. We need to be filled up all the time with entertainment or information or something in order to exist, really. Or if not that. Every post we, we post, every conversation we have has to be validated with likes and thumbs ups and, and hearts and in order to feel that we matter. So we're simultaneously thinking we're the most important thing in the universe. But at the same time, really, we don't experience ourselves as a destination. So, you know, we're not processing our life anymore. We, we might walk on the street. I don't know. And say, say we see a woman with a stroller. You know, we might open the door for that woman, but pre our addiction to technology, we might process what that felt like walking down the street or for the next few minutes, what it felt like to just share that moment of sweetness or share that sense of being able to help another human being. But rather now we will immediately go on social media and post, I don't know, you know, hashtag gratitude (laughs) <laughs> Hashtag kindness, some you know, insanity. And then we wait for the meaning of that little event that we had privately. We wait for the meaning of that and the value of that to come back to us through the validation of social media. So our relationship with ourself is being kind of vacuumed out, you know. I have many clients now that talk about the few minutes right before they go to bed where the technology, God forbid, is turned off. And this truly this sense of terror, like it's just me. Oh, my God, it's just me. I'm here with this empty vesicle. I'm not, you know, I'll, how will I manage this real sense of terror? So our relationship with ourselves is fundamentally changing. And as you know, you know, as a person of spiritual practice, every spiritual tradition, every psychological tradition, every philosophical tradition, at the end of the day, points us to ourselves as our own refuge, as the place where peace or where where our, um, our infiniteness exists. And our relationship with technology, I would say, is, um, facilitating a belief that happiness, well-being, peace, all of it exists somewhere out there through our devices, through all the magical, you know, uh, stuff, stuff and stuff and more stuff that technology offers us.
1: Yeah. So first of all, you made me, you cracked me up with the, you know, the hashtag gratitude line. I mean, you know, we used to say stop and smell the roses. So now it's really stop and tweet the hashtag. It's really crazy. Uh, Another aspect of slavery that I wanted to just get your take on is, so you're talking about being enslaved to the device. Another aspect of, of slavery to technology is that, so many of us are producing content for websites and uh, platforms like Facebook and, and um, reddit and, and Twitter. We're, we're spending hours producing content for free.
2: Yeah and oh, constantly.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we're we're getting this this faux sense of self fed back to us, this extreme narcissism played out through the technology. But I wonder how many of us realize that we're actually, selling ourselves to these companies who are then selling us to other companies uh, who are gonna sell us ads. I mean, the whole thing is about advertising and we're just giving ourselves away to the advertiser without even knowing it.
2: Oh, you are so spot on. I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine about this. Is anybody making a living off of all this content? that we offer into the machine. And, you know, it's interesting because I was talking with her about how as independent practitioners and and people who create content, something about our relationship with technology and the way advertising has sort of gotten hold of it makes us feel like at every moment we have to be packaging, packaging, packaging what we have. And people are packaging their brand long before they really have content to deliver. There is this sense of, oh my God, how am I selling this? Oh my God, I have to feed, I have to feed the monkey, feed the monkey. And of course we're not getting paid for any of it and and no one is making a living on any of it, but there is an incredible pressure right now on um, getting seen, you know, branding ourselves for our content. Which in a certain way is, is sort of interesting, but in another way is is totally emptying. It's like we're we're putting the cart before the horse, we're we're branding who we are before we're actually being who we are. And so, you know, it used to be just from another perspective, let's say you were interested in something, maybe playing music, let's say. So you would play music and then the result of that inside out, if you will, was that we would be known as, you know, one who played music, but it be, it came out of the experience itself. And now we sort of decide, oh, I want to be that person. And then we fill that identity or that brand in with life. So it's completely flipped. And it's all, as you're insightfully saying, it's all feeding some kind of insane consumer uh, machine, which I'm not sure who's benefiting from. I, I actually don't know. What I know is that despite all the talk about mindfulness and it being another buzzword and another kind of uh, thing to sell, that the way we're actually living our lives right now is the antithesis of mindfulness. We're actually um, either we're staring into our device and, and really not where we are, not tasting the apple we're eating, not in the conversation we're having, you know, not feeling that breeze on our back. Or if we're not doing that, you know, we're I don't know, we're walking on a, a country road looking for a place to, to take a selfie of ourselves on that country road as someone who enjoys nature, as someone who, you know, does interesting things. And, and if we're not doing that, we're, you know, at our child's dance recital, videotaping it so that later we can show people that we have a life. We've got all these you know gigabytes in our iPhoto file, but we've not lived our actual life. So it's meta on top of meta on top of meta.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26.
1: So you, you have this wonderful chapter called I Tweet, Therefore I Am, which speaks directly to this notion that you're, you're addressing. And if you can take, I'd like you to read the paragraph that, uh, the second paragraph in that opening page of uh, I Tweet, Therefore I Am. I just found this astounding.
2: <laughs> An experience that I frequently hear young people describe is that of not being real or being alienated from their own life, as if they themselves are somehow virtual. Because their work and social lives happen virtually, and so much of their self-identity is crafted online, many feel as if their lives are a simulation of real lives, as if they are unreal characters in an online game. The question I am often asked is, When is my real life going to happen? In a particularly extreme example, which I will never forget, one young woman felt so unreal to herself that she was compelled to get her arms and legs x-rayed to prove to herself that she or something solid actually existed behind her image. True story, terrifying.
1: Terrifying, as a mindfulness teacher, as an interfaith minister, as someone who's, you know, who deals with this whole nature of self, I mean, wh- what does this mean when, you know, I tweet, therefore I am?
2: Well, while I have a lot of reasons to feel optimistic about um, the way people are now starting to wake up and realize this may not be working for me, the way I'm actually relating. This relationship with ourselves is very, very disturbing. It's very disturbing to see that um, the self itself uh, doesn't really have a, a sense of substance to many millennials at this point. It doesn't have, as I said before, a sense of a destination, a sense of being a refuge. Um, We really are beginning to lose touch with what's real and what is um, simulated. And, you know, I was speaking with one woman recently who is addicted to that game, The Sims. And, you know, she, she wanders around in the virtual community and builds her house there. And at some point I had asked her, you know, do you in any way have issue or or contemplate the fact that the community you spend your afternoons in, you know, doesn't exist in a kind of a concrete way? And I must say to you, she did not understand the question. She did not understand why that would be uh, troublesome or why that, made spending her afternoons there any less valuable. And as we move into this sort of Google Glass and, and you know, VR universe, um, I am fearful, if, I, if I'm really honest, I'm fearful that uh, that distinction between what exists in a, in, in a concrete, you know, on the earth and where we're living inside our own minds, that the distinction between that will cease to matter.
1: Wow, that that is. I'm I'm glad you're trying to be optimistic. <laughs> that uh-huh. does not so sounds so optimistic to me. So if if I'm following you correctly, and and you have a another chapter called "Branding the Self," and we've only got a couple minutes left, so let me just sort of set this up and invite you to help us move through this this uh, slavery into some kind of freedom. So if I'm getting this correctly we've we've sort of reduced the self to a brand, a story we try to sell to others, and maybe a, a story that we're selling to ourselves that proves we matter. That in, in a sense, we want um, people to, and this is metaphoric, but not only, we want people to click like, like on a Facebook page. You want people to click like uh, on our lives. Yeah. And the life that we're selling is, is a faux life. It's fake. It's not real. But- The book is not just about that. I mean, the book then goes on. You then go on and help us what you what you call stock uh, the mindfulness toolbox. So give us some things that we might do to not just turn off the technology, but to to escape from that faux life and reclaim the real life.
2: So even though we're loving our devices and we're all addicted, there is something in the human being that longs for nourishment, that longs for um, connection, that while so much of our lives are changing, there's something in the human animal that is not changing. And what I'm seeing, why I'm so optimistic, is because that longing for depth, that longing for a life that matters, Um, is starting to rear its head and say, I'm not sure if I'm getting it through this method. I'm not sure that this path, this more entertainment, more stuff, more, you know, cramming my mind with, you know, so there are no spaces left to hear stillness, no spaces left to hear silence. I'm not sure it's working for me. So one of the first things that I really encourage people to do is to just name you know, what kind of life do you value? What really nourishes you? What do you want? If it, if you're coming to the end of your life, what would make for a life that mattered, that felt like I lived that life uh, meaningfully? And if we start by just naming that and is the way I'm living, the way I am placing my attention, the way I am placing my time, Is that in alignment with what fundamentally matters to me? And then from there, we can start to create kind of an inner colander in our mind. So, every time I have an impulse, oh, I could check, I'm waiting on a line. You know, I've got five minutes. I could check my email or I could online shop or I could text or what have you. I could shoot out a text at every thought I have, you know, sort of being vomited up in my mind. Maybe I could catch that impulse or catch that sort of desire to distract without acting on it. So that rather than using my impulses to anesthetize myself, to disappear from my direct experience of life, maybe I could use them as an opportunity to wake up. So when the impulse comes, oh, I could check my email. Ooh, what would I have to feel here if I didn't check right now? Or what's happening right here that I want to distract myself from or that I'm trying to get out of? So we flip it so that our our tendency to be distracted, to be, you know, pleasure driven, to be immediately gratified, hit that reward center with dopamine, oxytocin, all that. We use that as an opportunity to wake up, just like we would have thought in meditation. And then from there, the third step is we just start to implement some very simple behaviors. Maybe I don't put my phone down when I'm having a conversation with a friend. I don't put the phone on the table between us. Maybe when I'm eating, I just taste the food and I don't do that. Maybe every day I take a 10 minute walk with no phone. Maybe I spend a half an hour a day with my child without any technology. You know, maybe the last hour before I go to bed, I don't engage. Maybe I take the technology out of my bedroom. What? What? We, we start to implement little behaviors and then we take notice. How do I feel when I do that differently? Because one of the worst parts of addiction is the feeling of not being in control of our own lives, being dragged around by the monkey mind, by the pleasure center. You know, and if we can just see, OK, so this is appealing to our reptilian brain. No big deal. We have built some bad habits, but I actually can empower myself to make choices about creating freedom in technology, not from technology. That's over. You know, even the caves have Wi-Fi now, but how can I be the one who's kind of guiding this chariot right now? Mm.
1: Great. I mean, that, that, that's very helpful. I'm really tempted to ask you if there's an app for that, but I, I think that would probably be inappropriate. But uh, that, that, was, that was a good way to, to wrap it up. And, and it does leave us uh, on an optimistic note. My guest today was Nancy Collier, an excerpt of her newest book, The Power of Off. The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World appears in the November, December issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. You can learn more about Nancy's work at her website, nancycollier.com. Nancy, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations.
2: Uh, My delight, thank you so much.
1: Our pleasure. Support for this show comes from The Calling Academy using research and online courses to empower people from all faiths and spiritual paths to live a full life. Learn how to answer your call at callingacademy.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition. And awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in
2: reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind, Body, Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.